The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, church. Good morning. Swing low, swing chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, swing chariot, coming forth to carry me home. It works, thank you. See, people are not trying to sit. That's what I'm going to start doing every time before I preach. Next time I'll sing a Nigerian song and you guys will know what's going on. Today is a very special day. It's a day uh, in which we get to celebrate all the amazing moms around the world and all the moms that we have been blessed with here in the Refuge Church. Uh, Megan has something for our moms this morning. I'm trying to find Megan. And so if you're a mother, can you please stand up so Megan can <laughs> bless you with what she's got. Oh, no, stay standing until you get. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to make you guys work out. Just trying to make it easy on Megan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Next time. All right, uh, I'm going to pray for our moms uh, this morning uh, before we uh, get into the word. So pray with me, please. Jesus, we are grateful and just thank you for moms, Lord, and just thank you for how amazing they are. Thank you for all that they do for us. Thank you that you use them to give us life to love, to correct, to teach, to guide. And thank you, because mom do everything for us. And so we're grateful for all the moms here. And I just pray, I pray special blessings on them, Lord, that you will uh, just continue to bless them, uh, protect them, guide them, provide for all their needs, continue to give them the patience, Lord, to, to love on us, to uh, discipline us, to correct us, and to do what you have made them to do for us. And I also pray for 
those women who are aspiring to be mothers uh, this morning, Jesus blessed them too. And I pray that you bless the desires of their hearts. May all the moms here uh, feel uh, celebrated and loved and appreciated. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we started a new uh, sermon series, and in the next few weeks, uh, we will be in the book of Ephesians. And so Daniel did the intro uh, last week, and our intro for this sermon series is, God is calling us to be a different kind of people, a holy people. His holiness is a quality that uniquely belongs to God. Being a different people means that our primary identity is part of God's holy family. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives instructions on how to live as holy people in a world that often doesn't like our kind of different. And last week, Daniel preached on uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 from verse 1 to 2, and in those two passages, you know, Paul talks about us as saints, right? We are saints, and we are saints because we are in Christ. That is where we draw our identity, in Christ. And I, I was thinking a lot about Daniel's uh, sermon uh, this last week, because I had something interesting happen to me. And so, uh, last week, uh, Friday, I was trying to buy a truck that I can use for work, and I wanted a truck with a long uh, bed, you know, something that I can uh, go get 16-footers and just load it easy in my truck. And I saw a truck on uh, Facebook Marketplace. It was a 1988 uh, Ford F-250, and it had everything I wanted. In Belfair, I was like, great. I messaged this guy, and I told him, I love your truck. I want to come see it. And so we uh, scheduled a time on Saturday to go see the truck. And I took my host grandpa, who knows about trucks uh, more than I do. And so we went and looked at the truck, you know, and you know, turned on the engine, and, you know, I noticed that it wasn't running the way it should be running, but I still really liked the truck, you know. And so I told the guy, I don't want to buy the truck now, and because it's Saturday, I want to take the truck to my mechanic on Monday to look at it, but I don't want to drive to Belfair on Monday morning and take it back to my mechanic. How about I give you a deposit of the money and then you let me have the truck. You can keep the title. I'm going to take it to my mechanic. He's going to check it out. And if everything comes good, I'm going to come back and pay you the rest of the money. And he was happy with that. But that was my mistake. Because I wanted to trust in humanity. I wanted to an act of good faith. And, what, and before I left, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should write something so that we can both sign just in case. But the Ibrahim in me was like, you just got to trust humanity. Just give people a chance. I was like, okay, I don't have to do that. So drove with the truck Monday morning, took it to my mechanic. 
and he looked at it and, you know, it, the truck had some oil leaks from the gasket, which I knew about. But my mechanic was like, you will spend a lot of money uh, fixing this truck, so I won't buy it at the price that this guy wants. I said, okay. So I called the guy, I said, let's meet at 12, Belfair. Met him at 12, and I said, here are the things that I found with the truck. I don't want to pay the price you're asking because it's going to cost me this amount to fix it. Let's agree on a new price, and if I'm happy with the price, I will buy the truck from you. We negotiated, and then we couldn't agree on a price. And then I told him, well, just give me my money, but for me keeping the truck for the weekend, I'm going to give you this. And he was fine with that. But the problem was, he didn't bring my money, and he came with his mom. So he told his mom to go home and get my money. And so she went home, and I was in the parking lot, uh, Safeway in Belfair, waited for 10, 20 minutes, wondering what was going on. And when she came back, instead of bringing my money, she brought her dad, who the truck belonged to. And so the guy that I've been working with was his grandson, who was trying to sell the truck uh, to. The grandfather uh, pulled up in the car, and when he came out, his daughter, you know, went to the trunk of the car and got an oxygen tank because he was sick. And then I just felt really bad. I was like, oh, man, what do I do? And so you have an expect. I had an expectation, you know, like he would try to understand and we would figure out something. But the first thing he said to me was, when you drove away with that truck on Saturday, it belonged to you. Now pay me the rest of my money. It's like, whoa. I was expecting you to be a little bit nice. Didn't expect this from you. And man, it just kept getting worse. He was just nasty about the whole thing. And then I started thinking of Daniel's sermon. I am in Christ. Be different. Like, I'm running out of patience. If he wasn't sick, I probably want to punch him in the face. But he's a grandpa. It's like, ah, control your emotions, Ibrahim. It's like, and I just tried reason with him, and it just kept getting worse. And then he decided, you know what? I'm just going to take my truck and my title. I spent your money already. It's like, okay, this is getting bad. And so he gave his grandson the title. And as he was about to drive off, I yanked the title out of his grandson's hand. And the grandson, who has been nice up to this point, just came to my face like he wanted to hit me. And I was like, okay. I know I'm supposed to be different in Christ. I cannot hit your grandpa, but you, I will hit. <laughs> just move away. <laughs> then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call the police. I'm tired of dealing with this. You know, I had the title in one hand, had my phone calling the police, and the grandson was in my face harassing me. You can't take the title from me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you cannot take my money either. Not cool. So I called the police. Five minutes later, they showed up. And uh, one officer took me uh, with him. And another officer uh, talked to them and told them what happened. And, you know, they apologized. And they said it was my mistake for trusting them. I shouldn't have done that. And I told them, yep, 
I agree, just wanted to put my trust in humanity, but I've learned my mistake. You cannot trust everyone. Anyway, the grandpa insisted on a price, and I told him if he wasn't that nasty, I will have paid what he wanted just to get it over with. But I'm not willing to pay the price that he wants. I, I won't do it. And so the officer told me that we can go to court, civil court, and you know, uh, figure this thing out, or uh, I can give uh, grandpa, I mean, I can give them the title and take them to court, or I can just pay what they want. And I insisted I'm not gonna pay what they want. So I told the officer to tell the grandpa I will agree to pay this price. And the grandpa said no. But I was like, well, let's go to court then. Because growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I was excited for the opportunity to represent myself. I was like, finally, because I had text messages and everything and witnesses, and I felt confident of winning the case, but I'll probably waste my time that I could have done something better with. But it didn't matter to me. I was like, let's go to court and settle this, and I'm ready for that. Anyway because they needed the money more than I did, they agreed to take the amount that I was willing to give them. And so I got the title and I got my truck. But, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> like I, I almost lost it. I was like, how can I be in Christ and at the same time just wanna do this things just like, I just lost any love for these people. Like, it was so hard to love on them, and yet I am called to be in Christ and represent him. And as this was going on, I was also thinking of my passage this morning. The title of my sermon is Be Blessed. You know, it's like, I know I'm blessed, and so why do I have to be petty? You know, why do I have to stoop so low? Why do I have to lose my identity as a Christian just because they pushed my button so hard? But we have to practice what we preach. I don't think I did a good job with that, but I pray to do better uh, next time. And so this morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 to 14. And like I said, the title of uh, this sermon is Be Blessed. So Ephesians chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. And I'm going to read and you can follow along uh, with your Bibles. Praise be to God the Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Nine, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, 
which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under the head, under one head, even Christ. 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be for the praise of his glory. 13. And when you were also included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise, to the praise of his glory. And as I was reading this passage, I'm like, I can easily do a 10-week sermon series on just these few passages because it's so loaded with so many truth and so many theology. And I have tried really hard to just condense a lot of information uh, this morning because I don't want us to be here for two hours. And so in verse 1, Paul starts with, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to God, our Father, is used exclusively in the New Testament for God to indicate the one who alone is worthy of praise. No one is worthy of praise except God alone. But the one who is praised for his goodness is himself the blesser who bestows on us every spiritual blessing. God is blessed, and he also gives us every spiritual blessings that we need. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. Every good thing that we have comes from God. Paul also assures us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so God blesses because he is the source of all blessings. Anything good that we have comes from God because he alone can give all of those things. And then who are the blessed ones? Who are, who is, who are the us that uh, Paul is talking about? The us whom God has blessed refers to believers. The saints, which Daniel talked about next week. The saints in Christ. Those are the ones who are blessed. Those are the ones who have every spiritual blessings that God gives. And then what is the blessing from this passage from this verse, Paul tells us that the blessing is everything spiritual. Everything spiritual is the blessing, but the agent of that blessing is Jesus Christ himself. Christians possess every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because they are in Christ. When we put our trust in Christ, 
as Lord and Savior, we are placed in a union with him. And all the Lord has, he gives to us. That is how we obtain our spiritual blessings when we are in Christ. So what is this spiritual blessing that Paul wants us to know about? What is the spiritual blessing that we receive in Christ? Verse 4 to 6. This is our spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his will and his pleasure and to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That is our spiritual blessing. So what are these verses talking about? He chose us. He chose us. This is a big deal, right? This is the God of the universe choosing you and me. It's a big deal when uh, your friend is getting married and it's like, hey, can you be my best man, right? You feel special when you're chosen that way. I uh, remember uh, growing up in Nigeria uh, in school. During our break uh, time, all the boys who play uh, real football. Uh, you guys call it soccer, right? And, you know, and usually because we're playing each other, we choose two captains, and they will choose who will choose two teams, and we compete with each other. I was usually never the captain, but I was always chosen first because I was a good defender. Because I had a philosophy, if you miss the ball, don't miss the leg. And so nobody passed me and nobody scored, right? And so every captain wanted to choose me. Even before the captains were chosen, I knew that I was going to be chosen first. And I just felt special. And when I, was in, when I wasn't in school, when I was sick, they really missed me, right? And so I felt special. But imagine being chosen by God. And the idea of being chosen is the idea of election that the Bible talks about. And so the Bible speaks of three kinds of election. The first kind of election is God's theocratic election of Israel. You are a holy people to the Lord your God, Moses told Israel. In the desert, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the first of the earth. But this kind of election had no bearing on personal salvation. Right? God chose them, not because of anything that they did, but they weren't promised any salvation. That is the first kind of election. The second kind of election is vocational. The Lord called out the Levites to be his priests. But the Levites, they were not guaranteed salvation either, right? Jesus chose 12 men to be his homies, right? But Judas chose the other way, right? They weren't guaranteed salvation because Judas was able to choose the other way and betray Jesus. And this is not the kind of election Paul is talking about. The third kind of election is salvational. The kind that Paul, Paul is talking about in our context John uh, 6, verse uh, 44, No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me 
draws him to me. This is the election that Paul was talking about. Before the creation of the world, you were chosen. Many devout Christians, including myself, have found this very shocking or even unbelievable because how can God choose some and not others? How can being a follower of Jesus Christ be a matter of God's prior decision overriding any decision of freedom of our own, right? But it is not that God's sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice in faith because divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation. I'm going to repeat that again. It is not that God's sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice in faith. Divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation. Though exactly how they operate, only the infinite mind of God knows. Because it is a mystery. Nor is it as many teach that God simply looks into the future and see which people are going to believe and then elects them to salvation. I think this is wrong also because taken out of context, Romans chapter 8 verse 29 is often used to support this view that God looks into the future to see who will believe in him and those are the ones he chooses to elect. But in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 28, it makes it clear that those, God, those whom God foresees and predestines to salvation are those whom he has already called according to his purpose. Any teaching that diminishes the sovereign electing love of God by giving more credit to men also diminishes God's glory, thus striking a blow at the very purpose of salvation. Salvation has to be the only work of God, God alone. And so we should be satisfied to declare with John Chadwick who said, I sought the Lord and afterwards I knew. He moved my soul to seek him. Seeking me, it was not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. God finds us and not the other way around. God elected us before the foundation of the world, before creation, before the fall, before the covenant or the law. We were sovereignly predestined by God to be his people. Isn't that mind-blowing? Before anything was in motion, God predestined us to be his people. He designed the church, the body of his son, before the world began because in God's plan, Christ was crucified for us before the foundation of the world. And this is not me. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Because in God's plan, Christ was crucified for us before the foundation of the world. Before creation, it was set in motion that God was going to send his son, Jesus, to die for us. 
we were designated for salvation by that same plan at that same time. It was then that inheritance in God's kingdom was determined. We belong to God before time began, and we will be his people even after time runs its course. Our, our names as believers were written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. And what a blessing this is. And then Paul also tells us about our purpose of our election. What is the purpose of this election? Paul said, God chose us in order that we might be holy and blameless. This is the purpose of election. Obviously, Paul is not talking about our position. Or is he talking about our practice, right? Because on our own, we are not holy or blameless. I know I'm not. I mean, I know I was not holy and blameless, especially on that Monday morning. Yet in him, Paul said, Paul said in another place, we have been made complete. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. All that God is, we become in Jesus Christ. And because God declares and leads us to be his holy and blameless people, we shall strive to live the life that reflects God's holiness and blamelessness. And so some of you here might be wondering right now, if you are chosen. How do you know you are chosen? You might be wondering, am I one of those elected before the creation of the world? And I think it is a fair question. But here's an answer, and this is not a complete answer, and I struggle with this passage as I was studying it, and so I don't have all the answers for you. But this is what I can offer you this morning if you're asking this question. In verse 5, Paul tells us that the motive behind God's election is love. The motive behind God's election is love. Because he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. God elects those who are saved because of his love, just as he chose Israel to be his special people only because of his love, so also he chooses the church, the family of the redeemed. And so if you're asking this question, if you're part of the chosen, I have two questions for you. Do you believe that God loves you? And the second question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? So do you believe that God loves you? And do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? If your answer is yes to this question, then you don't have to worry about whether you're chosen or not before the foundation of this world. John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus died for you. He died for you. He died for everyone. He died for the sins of the whole world. And is God love? God is love, right? When I think of the word love, I immediately think about God because his banner over us is loved. Were you carefully and wonderfully made by God? Yes, you were. 
if you are loved by God, then you don't have to worry about that. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you don't have to worry about that question. In the ultimate divine act of love, God determined before the foundation of the earth that he will give his son Jesus to save us. And we know that it is God's desire for none to perish but for all to have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, God being rich in mercy because of his great love which, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us all alive together with Christ. Love. You are loved by God. You are God's prized possession. And so that is not a question that you don't have to worry about. And as a result of his love, he predestined us to salvation. We become sons of God. When we become Christians, we become children of God. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear, Paul says, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. If you are a son of God, he definitely loves you and he will do anything, anything to save you. But sonship with God is different from human sonship, right? Because human parents can adopt children and come to love them as their own children. They can give their adopted children complete equality uh, in the family, resources, and inheritance. But no human parent can impart his own distinct nature to an adopted child. You cannot put yourself in your adopted child. Yet, that is what God recklessly does to every person whom he has elected and who has trusted in Christ. He makes them sound just like his divine son. Christians not only have all the son's riches and blessing, but have all the son's nature. And what a blessing that is. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed in us. And that is how we can stand holy and blameless before God. And then how did God elect and adopt us? Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption through the blood of Jesus. Christ dead on the cross made every spiritual blessing possible for us. And as a result of that redemption, we obtain forgiveness, but also wisdom and understanding. And so, in Christ, our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. Because when we confess our sins and make Jesus the Lord of our life, he washes us and makes us new again. 
That is what redemption does for us. But the second aspect of redemption is we are given wisdom and understanding. God not only forgives our sins, but also gives us all the necessary equipment to understand him and to walk in his ways, to have a closer relationship with him, to understand his word. That is what redemption does for us. And then in verse 9, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. 10, To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Part of what belongs to us under the riches of his grace is the knowledge of the mystery of his will. God's plan and purposes which he has hidden is now revealed to us in Jesus. And what has been revealed is God's desire to bring unity to all of his creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, all wasn't lost because God is trying to unify his creation. God is trying to bring shalom to his creation. God is trying to amend what was broken. That is the mystery. God's desire is to redeem all of his creation so that his creation can glorify him. If you love something and that thing is broken, you, just, you don't just let it go. Even if that thing doesn't want to do anything with you, like we often uh, do with God, right? Often, there are many people in the world who want nothing to do with God. And God respects their decision. But that hasn't stopped God from pursuing what he created because he owns all of it. He wants to make everything new again. That is the mystery that Paul is talking about. Creation under the control of God. Creation being made whole again. That is the mystery that we can now understand when we are in Christ. And then verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As a means of guaranteeing his promise to those who have received Christ, as a means of guaranteeing his promise for us, God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. The seal of God's Spirit in the believer signifies four primary things. The first one is security. In ancient times, the seal of a, uh, the seal of a king represented security. And in an infinite and greater way, the Holy Spirit secures each believer, marking him with his own inviolable seal. When you have the Spirit, you belong to God. You have been sealed. 
And then the Holy Spirit gives us authenticity. When God seals us with the Holy Spirit, it is as if he puts his stamp on us. That reads, this person belongs to me. You are God's now, no one else. And no one can steal you from me. And then the Holy Spirit also signifies ownership. When the Holy Spirit seals believers, he marks them as God's divine possession, who from that very moment on entirely and eternally belongs to God. You always be God's no matter what happens. And then authority, when Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit, they are delegated to proclaim, teach, minister, and defend God's word and his gospel with the Lord's authority. These are all the things that Holy Spirit does for us when he seals us. And because we have God's seal, the Holy Spirit, we are guaranteed our inheritance the Spirit is the down payment for what God has promised us. He is the part of the promised future coming forward to meet us in the present right now. But we have a greater inheritance. And what is this inheritance that Paul is talking about? Some of you might think it is heaven. Well, it is more than that. Here's what my favorite theologian wrote about this uh, inheritance. N.T. Wright uh, writes this, the inheritance Paul has in mind, so it appears from the present passage and the whole chapter, is the whole world. When it has been renewed by a fresh act of God's power and love. Paul already said in verse 10 that God's plan in the Messiah is to sum up everything in heaven and earth. After all, God is the creator, and he has no interest in leaving earth to wrath and making do for all eternity with only one half of the original creation. God intends to flood the whole cosmos, heaven and earth together, with his presence and grace. And when that happens, the new world that results, in which Jesus himself will be the central figure, will be the inheritance of God's people. That is what we get to inherit. Everything made new again. The new Jerusalem, like the author of uh, uh, Revelation talks about. So are you blessed this morning? Yes, you are. I don't even doubt that. You have been chosen. You have been marked. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are God's adopted son. You have Christ living in you and the Holy Spirit in you. And so we have every spiritual blessing that we need. And if you haven't accepted Christ and you wrestle with, am I good enough for God? It's like that's not a question you should be asking. Because you are good enough for him. You are part of his creation, his prized creation. You are loved. You are blessed. And so if you haven't made that decision, why wait? You have every blessing available to you. Accept it. Just put your trust and faith in Jesus. That's all you have to do. And let God do the rest. We are saints. Not because of how we act or what we do. No. We are saints 
because of what Jesus has done for us and what he continues to do in us. And so as you live this morning, be blessed. Just remember that you are blessed. You have been adopted into God's family. And let's try and act like it. And I know why you're laughing, yes. But thank God for the Holy Spirit, right? Thank God for the Holy Spirit, because without Him, we cannot act like it. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God. And so be blessed and act like it. That is my challenge for me this coming week and many weeks to come, and for you also. So bow your head as I offer uh, this prayer of confession for us. Father, our hearts kneel before you in grateful thanks and praise. For we have sinned and done so many things that do not deserve your love or forgiveness. And we confess that we have rejected your free gift of salvation simply because we could not understand in our minds how anyone could die for our sins, especially the creator of the earth. We confess, Lord, that we turn our backs on you through ignorance and pride, and yet in your love, you continue to sort us out. Thank you, Lord, that there is no sin that we have committed that cannot be forgiven by you, and there is nothing hidden on our guilty past that cannot be cleansed and healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we desire that you unlock our hearts and even cleanse us of those sins which we thought were too gross to merit your forgiveness and which we have suppressed from our conscious memory. We confess all our sins before you, and believe that by your sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, we have been forgiven of our sins and released from powerful hold that sin had over our life. Thank you that by grace, through faith, we have been set free from all guilt and are no longer your condemnation, but are your sons and daughters adopted into your holy family, accepted into the beloved community of God. Thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, eat communion this morning, we remember the cross. We remember the death and the resurrection of Christ. You know, we, we eat communion to remember that we were bought at a price. You know, when Christ broke bread with his disciples for the first time, he said, this is my body broken for me. This is my body that will go through so much pain. This is my body that will take away your sins. I'm going to take it on me. And so when you eat this bread, remember it. And in the same way, took a cup of juice and said, this is my blood that I will shed for you on the cross. This is my blood that will wipe away all of your sins. And so when you eat communion this morning, remember that. Remember that you are bought at a price and that Jesus did it out of love because you are worth it.
And also, if any of you need prayers, uh, Joe Berg and Rachel will be on the side. And so if you need prayers for anything, if you're struggling with anything I've said this morning, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of anything, please go to them. We'll be happy to pray for you.